0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man. Men from Moto digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellects vast,
1: cool, and unsympathetic.
0: Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of manner Deprived and com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 57, Show Us Your Decks. My name is David Spill, and I have Travis Sowers, three zero Streamer Showdown Champion of the Week. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well, Dave. I'm disappointed that you know how it turned out. I'm happy that you did, but I was hoping that we could go through the draft and you could disagree with all my picks. And then I'd tell you that I won. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty high and mighty right now. You might say I'm heroic.
0: Heroic indeed. The format this week was Theros, which was a lot of fun. We had our episode last week, um, one of our most listened to episodes, I believe. So that's awesome. And um, I drafted last night. You've drafted uh, yesterday and today. How's your Theros experience been?
1: Really good. Um, I've had only two ones and three O's and it, it feels good to be in a format with mana syncs again. You know, we talked some a while back. I, I'm, I'm going to derail us for a minute here because I actually had a really interesting conversation on the stream that I, I think is worth bringing up. We had some people who had listened to the mediocre designer search episode and they were asking, "Are do you really think it's mana syncs that make a good, a good format? And I said, well, let's let's take a minute and get chat to agree on the top five limited formats of all time. And obviously with 200 people, getting them all to agree on something is rather difficult. But I I got people down to triple Innistrad, triple cons, Rise of the Eldrazi, Hour of Devastation and Shadows over Innistrad as being close to the top five with original Ravnica being somewhere in that ranking, too. But I kind of left that one out because I didn't play then. And then as we dug through those formats, that is exactly what we found, is those are formats that are full of mana syncs. And Walking Sponge, um, Brad, he's a cool guy. I actually met him at uh, GP in in Canada a while back. Um, But he said, I think what you're finding may not be that mana syncs make the format great. A format where you have time to use mana syncs is probably something that people enjoy more. So decks where aggro isn't the only viable option. So like you have some decision to make other than did they curve out, you know, two, three, four, five. Anyway, going off tangent a bit there, but that was just a fun moment on stream that I wanted to share. And I I think we, we kind of nailed it on that, that like mana sinks are good. And again, it it may be that people just like formats with a little more play to them where you can be
0: aggressive, but you don't have to be. One of the things that I've noticed that I've, like about theros now that we've come back to it and it, it's kind of has to do with the mana sinks but it has to do with the ability to um make decisions meaningful decisions and have to make decisions with your cards so do i bestow this creature do i play another creature do i play this creature with bestow early so i can bestow onto it later do i hold up mana for monstrous do i represent a trick and monstrous at the same time you know there's all sorts of play counterplay you can do um and just from a couple of drafts that i did last night it was really interesting where you know do i play a three drop in a bestow do i hold up monsters? do i do all this kind of stuff um and it felt like they were all relevant decisions as long as i wasn't getting beaten down by a 10 10 flying vigilant lifelink uh wing steed rider
1: i had one of those today mine was only a nine nine mm. but it that felt really good
0: i had achievement unlocked yesterday i had over 60 life i think with a, oh, nice. uh, with a double strike fabled hero with lifelink and vigilance, it was like a 9-9 nine, nine or something like that by that point. Um, how miserable is it, though, to know that your opponent always has God's Willing in hand? Well, if
1: they're playing white, they probably do. I mean, it was just one of the top commons. And one of the things I've noticed in the drafts is that sometimes you'll get into a draft where you're clearly playing with people who understand the format. And sometimes you're in a draft with people who clearly don't. I had a God's Willing like third to last in a pack. While I was in a blue white heroic deck with two of the battle wise hoplites, I was like, this is just not real. Cause I can remember second or third picking God's Willing in Theros before. I was like just going straight in.
0: I second picked it was God's Willing last night in pack one after picking Prognostic, Prognosticator Sphinx, the 3 5 flyer that like scries for a bunch and has hexproof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I second picked a God's Willing because I was like, well, it's great. And blue-white is great, but it's like I didn't feel shame about first or second picking a common essentially combat trick. It was yeah. it was very good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about Theros because it is still active for the next uh, few days. And um, as a tangent here, because we're Magic Online players and we care about expected value, um, you'll note that if you buy packs of Theros currently at, the, at their prices that they are at the time of this recording, and you enter with two packs plus two tickets your expected value is through the roof on theros um i I did a 2-1 and a 3-0 last night and i think i came out like 11 tickets ahead in play points obviously um which is kind of insane for for draft formats usually you break even at a 2-1 if you're lucky um and in phantom it's usually always break even at 2-1 so highly recommend going to check out bots to see if you can get packs first i don't know if the packs will be like three tickets by the end of the week or four tickets by the end of the week, at which point it starts to become less and less valuable, but it's still better likely to go and buy the ticket or buy the packs and use the tickets than it is to use your play points. So um, get a little bit of extra value there, even though you're, mind, you're buying moto bucks essentially um, as long as you plan on playing magic online for a bit longer, you'll get use out of those.
1: Yeah. And, and for those of you not getting that you can enter these phantom events with two packs and two tickets you still don't keep any of the cards. It doesn't change that. But the other option is to just enter with 10 play points, um, uh, excuse me, a hundred play points or 10 tickets. Right? So if you can buy the packs for two bucks, you're essentially entering the draft for six bucks. And then like, you're going to at least get some of that. You're going to recoup some of that. So it's like, you can go two one and be profitable, like it's it's absolutely absurd. I'm I'm banking play points right now and it's it's fantastic.
0: That's yeah, pretty and then it's And having fun. Yeah, and then it's pretty easy to turn those play points back into tickets later on, especially new uh, early in a format. You can use those play points to enter sealed events, uh the mm-hmm. uh, Magic Online pre-release sealed events, and and maybe spike a uh, mythic foil or something like that, turn those back into tickets. So it's uh yeah, yeah it's a pretty good opportunity to play a fun format and uh, make a little bit of Moto Bucks along the way. So we're gonna do a yeah. Theros draft along. We're gonna draft along with your Streamer Showdown. Uh, spoiler alert, you did go 3 I did spoil that, but uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And uh, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a discussion on uh, Magic Online or Wizards releasing uh, constructed deck lists that go 5-0 in the standard and modern leagues. I believe it's just the competitive leagues. Uh, but we're going to have a bit of a discussion slash argument uh, around the availability of data and how awesome uh, these lists are, um, and also the good old days of, of the available data that we used to have. But first, a quick update, uh, for people that are listening to the podcast early because of the Patreon, uh, although this one might not go up early or who listen to the mic check, you may already know this, but to new listeners, uh, we have started up a Patreon, uh, seems to be the go-to for people like us, content creators, to uh, give the community an opportunity to contribute. I know I've had people ask me specifically, hey, how can I contribute to the podcast? How can I help you guys out if you guys need you know, money to pay for software or equipment or stuff like that? And uh, so Travis and I talked and we decided that uh, we're going to roll his previous Patreon, uh, which was chugging along quite nicely. And we're going to roll that into a Men From Moto. Um, so Travis, I think is going to give you a little bit of the details on how that's going to work.
1: Yeah, it's at, uh, patreon.com slash men from moto. We are going to be releasing the episodes there. Um, as Dave mentioned, you get the mic checks, which is kind of Dave and I chit chatting about what the topic's going to be usually telling some interesting stories. Um, fair warning, those aren't always G rated. Uh, so you might want to listen to that one solo and then listen to the main show with your kids. If that's the thing that you do, uh, you can pledge as little as you want or as much as you want. It's charged per show. So that would be like four times a month. We would love it if you could help us out so we can, you know, buy equipment and keep recording the show. And if you can't, you know, tell a friend and let some people know about the podcast because that always helps too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is just a way for if you feel like you want to support us and you enjoy what you get, uh, you know. You can you can toss us a few shillings and uh, me personally, um, we're going to pay for some of the recording software we use. And, uh, you know, I'd like to take a little bit of that and maybe get a new mic, maybe some some mixing equipment or something like that. And then obviously, Travis will will continue to support uh, Travis's endeavors as a content creator online as well with that. So we're hoping to uh, to grow that quite nicely. And uh, we'll uh, we'll look to, to see there. We've also got some reward tiers that we've set up for people that contribute uh, a little bit more each episode. Um, and we're working through those, but, uh, the preview is up at the, at the Patreon right now. So we hope to see you there. And like Travis said, if not, you know, re- recruit a friend. Um, I, uh, personally, I try not to, but I, I like to obsess over numbers and we've been continually growing our listenership since we've started, which is awesome. And, uh, we obviously couldn't do that without the support that we get from our faithful listeners. So, uh, it'd be great if, uh, if you guys could bring some more along, but now that that's out of the way let's do a draft along. So like previous draft alongs, um, actually, we've only done this a couple of times where we've done the Fluey uh, link. But what we've done is Travis has recorded his draft with uh, Fluey, org, which is a is a neat little tool for uploading your uh, your draft files. So your draft logs, if you don't know when you're playing Magic Online, there's a, a setting in your account settings, game history, I think is the tab, uh, or the section on that screen where you can actually uh, tell Magic Online to record your draft logs. It'll save it on your hard drive. And what you can do is you can actually take those files, upload them to the URL or magic.flui.org. We'll post the link in the uh, in the show notes. And then what you can do is you can share that link with your friends or whatever. And people can go through. Or with us. Or with us even. People can go through and review your draft, uh, either picking along with you or reviewing your picks, um, and then give you feedback on your draft. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about in the thero's draft that travis did today um what picks i think he would have taken what picks he actually took and what kind of deck we would have ended up with before uh sorry what deck we would end up with after it before what we have done is we've done videos which are kind of hard to follow along with so we're going to try this today and see how it goes we'll post the link to that uh to the draft viewer uh in the show notes as well so travis why don't you start us off what do you uh What are you thinking as you go into this showdown? It's a bit different than a league draft. It's back to the pod style um, and you know your competitors. So are you looking at anything before you start your draft? Do you know your seating position or anything like that? Or are you just going to go in and draft it like you normally would?
1: You you don't know like who's going to be near you. Although the first thing I do when I, I sit down and the pack opens and you hear that crinkle noise is I do look and see who's passing to me. I know some of the streamers are more constructed streamers. And then some of these people I know have played Theros and know what they're doing. So I sit down and look at the pod and get a gauge for, do these people know what they're doing in Theros specifically or not? And I felt like this group pretty much did. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to draft this reasonably. I'm not going to see ridiculous things like, you know, three cards left in the pack and there's still a God's willing there, which I have seen in, in some of the flashback views. Cause you'll, you'll get that drafting with some people who don't know what's good in the format and and, and what is with other people. It's a, a big event and I'm very appreciative for magic for inviting me to those and for hosting those and doing this for us streamers. It's a great way to kind of merge the streams and get everybody checking it out. But the main thing I'm looking for is fun. It's always nice to three Oh these, but the the main thing I'm looking for here is fun. So like I, I'm still, I'm a spiky player. I'm going to draft the best deck I can and try to win, but I haven't showdowns of the past been like, okay, fine. Let's draft a
0: meme deck and have some fun. Okay. So you sit down, you crack that first pack. You've noted that everybody in the draft is a, is a shark. You're going to draft it straightforward. What's your first pack look like? So I'm going to, I'm not
1: going to read the rare first because it's a windmill slam. You have to take it, but I will mention the other cards. Uh, We've got a wingsteed rider, one white, white for a two, two flying heroic, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Have you drafted mono wingsteed rider tribal? I've only gotten two in a deck so far. That's the most I've gotten so far. That, but I've only been drafting it for like sixteen hours. That is
0: basically Mono Wingsteed Rider Tribal in this format is getting two. Yeah, it's ridiculously good. So like
1: that's that's an early front runner. There's some other obviously commons and stuff I'm going to skip over. Um, there's a Nimbus Naiad here, two in a blue for a two-two flyer with Bestow for five. Um, that's one of the better blue commons in the set. There's an Erebos' Emissary. This is kind of a weird card. It's three in a black for a 3-3, and it has the ability to discard a creature card. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. It also has Bestow for six, gives the creature plus three, plus three, and then still has that ability. This thing is a nightmare to block, because if your opponent has any cards in hand, you don't know what they have, meaning you really can't jump in front of it, meaning you're just going to eat the damage, so it's like Threat of Activation. Uh, there's also Artisan Sorrow, three and a green for an instant destroy target artifact or enchantment scry two. Any of these would be very reasonable first picks out of the pack. I think I would take the Wingsteed Rider in the blind, but I wouldn't hate you if you made a compelling argument for I- any of the others and, and wanted to do that. Problem is we opened Elspeth's Son's Champion in the Mythic slot.
0: Yeah, this is one of the better limited Planeswalkers I think we've seen in a while, too. Like her ability to protect herself is insane. And then in, in this format specifically, her minus three is a is a total board wipe. Um, not a total board wipe, but like you board wipe a lot of the relevant creatures um, on your opponent's side of the board, hopefully. So it's four white white for a uh, four mana planes or sorry, for loyalty planeswalker. The plus one is put three one one soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield, which is insane. The minus three is destroy all creatures with power four or greater, which is insane, especially in this format. Um, and then her minus seven, her emblem is, uh, you get an emblem creatures you control get plus two, plus two and flying. Generally speaking, what you'd see with this card is just a bunch of plus ones and your opponent usually can't deal with them. Um, they're either chump blockers until she gets her emblem or they are, um, you know, chump blockers while you're developing your board. That is just, it's just insane. Yeah. So clearly I took Elspeth. She's, she's good enough
1: to force white if you can, and there's enough playables in this format to be able to do this. Um, But I'm still going to try to, I'm going in with the idea that I'm going to try to stay relatively open as we go forward. I think the next pack gives us some more interesting, interesting choices here. Okay. So we're both on Elspeth. What is in pack two? Pack two has for us a Farika's Cure, which is black, black for an instant two damage to target creature and you gain two life. There's a Triton Tactics. Untap up to two target creatures for one blue mana. They get plus 0, plus 3. Untap them. And at the end of the next combat, it, tap each creature that was blocked by these creatures. They don't untap during their controller's untap step. I got to use this to keep something that my opponent Savage Surge tapped. Like, card's just ridiculous. It does so much in this format. Uh, Insatiable Harpy. Two black black for a 2-2 Flying Lifelink. And anger of the gods. One red red anger deals three damage to each creature. If a creature would die th- this turn, exile it.
0: Um, I'm probably on the anger of the gods plan. Um, it well, it doesn't deal with like the Voltron up creatures. It can deal with a lot of things early. Um, and you know, it's it's a. Uh, I think it's a reasonable card. You're not you're not obviously getting the big things with it, but you can uh, get it easy two for one early in the game, or sometimes a three for one. Um, although. I really do like uh, Farika's Cure if you're in a solid black deck can be a blowout like if you're playing Farika's Cure let's say you're on the play and your opponent goes you know two drop Phalanx leader or something like that this is a very easy way to deal with it it just can be hard to cast on turn two Um, and I don't mind Insatiable Harpy either to be honest but I'm probably taking Anger of the Gods.
1: I should mention too, there is a rage of perforos here. I don't think that's anywhere close to these cards. Mm-hmm. It's four and a red for a sorcery, four damage to target creature. It can't be regenerated, scry one. For me, this really came down to the Triton tactics and the Anger of the Gods. Triton tactics is that good if you have not played with the card. It is a great way to blow out your opponent. And and like it's it kind of has two for one stapled on it. That said, I thought Anger of the Gods this early gives us something to build around. So I slammed down the Anger of the Gods and and kind of didn't look back from there
0: mm-hmm yeah it kind of even though it's double red it plays really well with your elspeth pick like white red is a decent archetype uh if you're going the heroic route but also um you can keep your opponents off creatures early which could pressure like a like a turn six El- elspeth let's say if your opponent has gone wide um this kind of helps manage the board i think in that scenario so i'm okay with that
1: i think so too Okay, now pack one pick three is where we start to have some interesting discussions going on again too so in this pack, we've got Savage Surge, one in a green instant target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Uh, Nessian Courser, two in a green for a 3-3. Three, three. Fate Foretold, one in a blue for an aura when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. When the creature dies, draw a card. Fade into Antiquity, two in a green for a sorcery, exile target, artifact, or enchantment. Sealock uh, Monster. Three blue blue for a 5-5. Five, five. Can't attack unless the defending player controls an island. Monstrous for seven and you give them an island. And Ordeal of Perforos One in a red for an enchantment. Uh, when the creature attacks, it gets a counter. When you get three counters, pop the enchantment. Deal three damage to a creature or a player.
0: Mm-hmm. So you'll note that a rare and an uncommon are missing out of this pack. Um, let's see here. So I think I'm leaning toward the Ordeal of Perforos. Um, it leaves us open to a, a very good red white. If you end up with heroic creatures or if you end up with like, um, you know, blue, red and you have flyers and you slap an ordeal on it. Um, if you end up with white popping, the ordeal is very easy to do. For example, if you have a wing steed rider, um, and the three damage is, can be quite relevant, um, depending on, on what you're killing with it or depending on what stage of the game, I guess you're popping it. Um, I think that's my pick here. I think, yeah, I think I, a card like Fade to Antiquity, for example, sorry, is a common. Um, and there's a lot of this style of effect. So I know you mentioned it uh, to be aware of it, but I, I, I don't think it kind of comes into the conversation here over a card like Ordeal of Rose.
1: Yeah, not yet. The The ordeals were too good. The, the thing that I was noticing here was the Lock monster was open. Mm-hmm. So we've just passed a Triton Tactics. We've passed a Log monster. We're not seeing any notable white cards. We've not been passed a God's Willing. We've not been cast, passed a Wingsteed Rider no favored hoplite. Like we're just, we're not seeing those white cards that you want to get. So what I'm thinking here is maybe we end up um, green red and don't get to play the Elspeth or splash the Elspeth. Um, Although I have a plan for that, which we'll get to.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I've noticed a lot of travelers amulets going around, um, which could really help a splash, even though Elspeth is double white. Um, But you could obviously prioritize that if you think that that's your only white card.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah. I I don't think I would I would double splash in this format for reference, but I've seen green decks that could attempt it. Uh, the next pack has a, again some interesting cards here. We've got Voyages End, one in a blue for an instant, return target creature to its owner's hand. I had mentioned how good this card was when we did our set re-review, and it has played even better than I thought that it would. The card is just absurd. Uh, just being able to break up those Voltrons or get an ordeal off of something is, is super useful. Uh, Sedge Scorpion, which is green for a 1-1 one, one Death Touch. Shipwreck Singer. Blue-black for a 1-2. Flying. One in a blue, you can make something attack. One in a black and tap it. Attacking creatures get neg one, neg one until end of turn. And a Perforosis Emissary.
0: Three and a red for a 3-3 three, three Menace with Bestow for 7. This is a tough pick. Um, I... I like the Sedge Scorpion, but I don't think it's a reason here. Uh, for example, you could take a Voyage's End, which like Sedge Scorpion shuts down all the Voltron things on the ground, but Voyage's End shuts down all the Voltron things just in general, um, even though they come back. But like being able to... Voyage's End deals with a Wingsteed Rider and Sedge Scorpion doesn't for example. So um, if I'm looking at a, at a common, it's I think it's Voyage's End over the Sedge Scorpion. Perforos' Emissary is interesting. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the emissary because of the seven mana bestow cost um but i wouldn't fault anybody for taking it here because i think it's uh it, all the bestow creatures are, are at the very least fine uh it keeps you red it gives you three red cards um shipwreck singer is very interesting but it kind of blanks your other two cards unless you can pick up some fixing or sorry your other three cards unless you can pick up some fixing um and i don't think it's good enough to go into specifically uh without having a blue or a black card already so, I think I'm going to go to Voyage's End, but it's a close call between it and Perforos's Emissary.
1: So, the the main decision point for me here, I took the Emissary, was I've already passed uh, a Nimbus Niad, a Triton Tactics, and a Sea Log Monster to my left. Mm-hmm. My neighbor is going into blue, right? Like, there's very little I can do about that. If they're not, somebody really close to them but likely are. Again, no white cards that we're seeing here. So, I took the Perforos's Emissary. That lets me start uh, uh, with Anger of the Gods, the Ordeal, and this Emissary. I disagree. I think this card is very, very good. The Bestow cost is too expensive, but a Hill Giant with Menace is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, This thing carries Ordeals very well, which I already have, and gives me a very solid platform to bestow upon. And then usually, if you ever do cast it for 7, you're going to quite often win the game that turn. right? Because it's more than plus 3, plus 3. I think the Menace is super relevant. Uh, so for me, I just slammed the emissary and figured we'll just stay red as long as we can. I'll Hopefully, I can pair it with white. Because what I'm, what I'm noticing here is like, when I say there's no white cards in the pack, I mean there's just garbage white cards in the pack that nobody's playing. Meaning the person passing to me is cutting the heck out of white. What's that going to do for me in the next pack? You're going to get paid off, hopefully. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> and I started talking about it right about this pick, as we're just going to take red cards... We're going to get the white in the next pack and it's going to be fine. See, now pack pack one, pick five is where I think you may have some disagreement with me too. Sure.
0: Um, I was going to say that the thing about like forcing white is you really only need like two or three of the really good white cards to, to be playing white. You know what I mean? Like you can play mostly red with a wingsteed rider and Elspeth, a God willing, and then like some other filler white card and you're, and you're red, white solidly. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So this one, I, I, again, I, I think... Well, I'll, just, I'll read them to you and see what you have to say. We've got a Ray of Dissolution, which is the first good white card we've seen. Uh, two and a white for an instant destroy target enchantment. You gain three life. Bear in mind, about half the creatures in the format are also enchantments, so this is just straight-up removal here. Gray Merchant of Asphodel. Three black black for a 2-4. When it enters the battlefield, drain your opponent for your devotion to black. Uh, this is pick five. Four people have looked at this gray merchant and said, nah, I'm good. Dragon mantle red for an enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, the creature gets fire breathing and a crow and red, white for a one, two. When it attacks, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn where X is the number of attacking creatures you control worth noting. This counts
0: itself. So it always attacks as a two, two. Mm-hmm. I probably take the gray merchant. Um, I think that's a pretty late gray merchant and it's, kind of fantastic black red is can be decent um maybe you backdoor in a little bit of minotaur tribal even though it's not fully supported here um but you can pick up some solid removal in both black and red um there's some very aggressive cards in red obviously that pair with some aggressive cards in black i'm thinking of the disciple of mogi phoenix, phoenix? is that the one mm-hmm. the one that yeah there's one of these in the pack too no 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 i'm, no, no, no. That I'm that thinking really of the margin. um I'm thinking of the uh the one that gives haste and menace to creatures when it comes oh, Mogus to Marauders. Mogus Marauder, that's what it is. Um and we talked about that last week on the podcast, but I think I'm I'm taking the Grey Merchant. Um I think you're probably looking at the hoplite if you're thinking about maybe keeping that white dream open. Um, but I think the Grey Merchant is probably the safer pick here.
1: I don't, and here's why. Grey Merchant needs to be in a deck that is mostly black and then playing some other color to get filler. Right Now, obviously, it's a fantastic card, and if I can build around it, I absolutely want to. And getting one fifth pick gives me some hope that perhaps I could do that. But we haven't seen any black cards that we would consider taking outside of the Harpy, which we passed initially, as well as the Freakus Cure, which we passed initially, and then maybe the Shipwreck Singer. And I don't think we're going to end up blue-black after passing that, even if, 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 if I've got all these red cards so for me, I'm like I'm gonna end up heavy red, kind of however this works out, and that that means I don't have room for heavy black. Like putting Gray Merchant and Anger of the Gods in the same deck can be difficult. Um, so I I took the Hoplite. Ag- again, I'm taking the Hoplite as a signal that f- four people looked at this pack and said I'm not ready to go into red white, whereas I'm actively wanting to be red white. And if I can cut this, I'm I'm sending my neighbor a very clear signal. Like I've already passed them all. This great blue. It's like, hey, buddy, here's a six pick, Gary. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I don't want this. Stay out of my colors. So you're hoping to get paid off in the in the second pack, which is which is totally fine. Which is and like a crow and hoplite's also fine. Um, I, I have attacked with these for nine or ten damage at a time.
0: Yeah, I think the only downside of it is it doesn't get a boost on toughness. Yeah. Um. So and it does get chumped because of that. But if you can like obviously like put an ordeal on it or something like that. It can be, it can get out of control fairly quickly. Yeah. I like okay. the card too. Okay. Pack one, pick six. We've got
1: sea lock monster, uh, three blue, blue for a five, five. We've read that before, but it's, it's big. It gets bigger. Uh, we've got another fade into antiquity. We've got a minotaur skull cleaver, two and a red for a two, two haste. When it enters a battlefield, it gets plus two plus zero until end of turn got another sedge scorpion and we've got a chosen by heliod which is one in a white for an enchant creature when it enters the battlefield draw a card the creature gets plus oh plus two
0: if you knew you were white i kind of like the chosen by heliod um but um i think the skull cleaver is the pick for you here because you know you're red for sure and uh and you don't want to be stuck with like a like you, i don't i think you'd rather take a a Pretty decent creature. Um, obviously, it's only a four two when it attacks the first time, but it can usually trade with something fairly relevant. um I don't know. I wouldn't fault the Chosen by Heliod pick if you think that that is a signal. If you think that people before you are undervaluing the card, you don't have a ton of heroic yet, though, which is maybe why it's not that great here.
1: Yeah, and that that was my thing. Like, I did consider the card, and I like it in a heroic deck, but there's no guarantee I'm actually going to end up with any heroic creatures anyway. So I just took the Skullcleaver. Let's stay red. Again, mm-hmm. not passing much white. I don't think anybody's going to see Chosen by Heliod as too much of a signal unless they're already very heroic. Okay. Pack one pick seven. Uh, we've got another Savage Surge, uh, but I think I'm pretty far out of that. Uh, we've got a Seder Rambler, which is one in red for a 2-1 Trample. Uh, we've got Fleet Feather Sandals. I've seen some people playing this. Uh, it's two for an equipment. Equipped creature has Flying and Haste and two to equip. And another fade to antiquity. Interesting also to note there's an agent of horizons here for two and a green, uh, three, two, and then you can spend two in a blue to make it unblockable.
0: Um, I brought in fleet feather sandals out of the board the other day because, uh, I couldn't deal with flying creatures very well. Uh, it, but it was more of a defensive thing, not an offensive thing. Um, it's, it's not that great. I mean, probably taking the Seder rambler. To be honest, Um, even though like it's a two drop and that's all that it is. I'm not a huge fan of it. There's a much better two drops just in general, Um, but it does keep you red and it is a playable creature.
1: Yeah, there's also not really many better two drops in the format. Like we mentioned Bronze Sable when we were doing the set review. Um, I I, I took the Seder Rambler here. I ended up not playing it and playing a Bronze Sable over it because it was just an easier to cast two one. Um, and of the things to not like about Seder Rambler, getting trampled on it isn't terrible. It means if you have to bestow on this or go all in on it, you can pump it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the next packs, I, I just want to mention kind of what's in them as we run through them, and then we'll get to the interesting decisions in the next one. We got a Borderland Minotaur out of uh, pack, uh, pack one, pick eight. Um, over a Death Bellow Raider, there was another Agent of Horizons there. Pack 1, pick 9, I took a Ctesan Battle Priest over a Nylea's Presence and another Artisan Sorrow. Pack 1, pick 10, I argued with myself over and over and over about whether I wanted a Laganaban Elder or another Borderland Minotaur. I took the Elder. I regretted it immensely as I was past another Elder in the next pack. Uh, pack 2, pick 12, I picked up a Guardians of Miletus. Guess how many times I sideboarded in Guardians of Miletus? Every match. Um. Yes, when I was on the draw in every match, I cited in both copies of Guardians and Meletus that I end up with. They were fantastic. Pack 1, pick 13, I was super happy to see a Ray of Dissolution wheel. I was like, okay, that's another white playable we can get. Pack 1, pick 14 was interesting as I got a Boon of Erebos and a Viper's Kiss. The basic land was missing. I was like, okay, buddy, I got it. You're not playing black. It's fine. You, you passed me the Gray Merchant, but I got it. And then we opened pack 2, pick 1. After opening Elspeth, we are very excited for this pack. What rare are we going to get? What mythic are we going to get? What we got was a Temple of Deceit, which is the blue-black temple, a Temple of Silence, which is the black-white temple, Farika's Mender, which is the 5-mana 4-3 uh, green-black gravedigger. It also gravedigs enchantments, which is kind of relevant here, Rescue from the Underworld, which can be a lot of fun with Grey Merchant, That's four and a black, sacrifice a dude. Uh, Next turn, return that and something from your graveyard to the battlefield. Got a Feral Invocation, two and a green for an enchantment with flash. Creature gets plus two, plus two. Uh, A Leonin Snarecaster, one and a white for a two-one when it enters the battlefield. Tap target creature. Minotaur Skull Cleaver, uh, we've already drafted one of those. And a Scholar of Athreos, that's a two and a white for a one-four. Two and a black, drain somebody for one.
0: What a dud pack for you what a the card pack. i the card i took from this pack won me a game not on its own but not it did lead to me winning a game no um you're a little short on two drops i probably take the snare caster but i'm super sad about it i think that um that's the bottom end of first pickable commons that i can think of in a pack like this for you i'm yeah, very I, sad I took, about
1: that i took it too and i'm not unhappy about that because it's a two drop that on turn two it does what two drops do right it attacks for 2 if your opponent's mana screwed and it trades with something otherwise like that's what they do but it's also nice to top deck this later when your opponent's like trying to set up lethal and leave back just enough blockers to not get dead i was like all right we'll take a snarecaster it's not great but it's a cat
0: i think i think the reason i'm disappointed is cuz there's like just good common removal that you can be getting instead of like a snarecaster like you could have a lightning strike or something like that in this pack and i would be much happier with that but Biggers can't be choosers, obviously. Maybe you'll wheel that Temple of Silence. That'd be kind of sweet.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought about taking it here because I'm like the upside of a Scryland's a pretty big deal. And that was my debate, whether I wanted the Temple of Silence or the Snarecaster. Uh, pack two, pick two. I, I almost went to time on this pick. This was a very difficult pick for me. There's a Biden of Thassa in the pack, which is worth noting that the person we sent all that blue to wasn't interested in this. Uh, two blue, blue. Uh, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to an opponent, you may draw a card. One of the blue tap it. creatures your opponents control attack this turn if able. So you can bring them in, smash them into your dudes, swing back, draw some cards. Uh, the two things that really had me going back and forth was the spear of Heliod, which is one white, white for a legendary artifact enchantment creatures you control, get plus one, plus one, one white, white destroy target creature that dealt damage to you this turn and favored hoplite uh white for a one two when it's targeted it gets a counter and prevent all damage that would be dealt to it this turn
0: Oh yeah we don't even have to read the rest of the pack do we no there's some other stuff
1: here but none of it's anywhere near this good so i think the worth noting there's not any good red cards here no i
0: think the person passing to you might have taken a gary out of this pack
1: quite quite possibly that that would be
0: common probably make the most sense um I guess, they might have taken a lightning strike too. Actually, I guess there's a Gary, mi- or there's an uncommon missing, so maybe that's not the case. Anyway, uh, so yeah, you're right. My thinking here is, is Spear of Heliod, the effect on it is kind of irreplaceable. um, And it it powers up all of your creatures. So instead of going all in on one and Voltroning, you're turning your, your 4 3 Borderline Minotaurs into 5 4s. Um, you also gain the upside of being able to take a hit from a Voltron creature and then destroying it, um, kind of like a poor man's divine verdict, but the threat of activation there, um, you know, can make your opponent think twice. You can't take a ton of damage off of them. Um, but, but it is something there that, that does make your opponent think about that. But I think that the Anthem effect for three mana can be huge. The favored Hoplite is just, just the bomb. If you can go, if you can go turn one Hoplite, turn two Ordeal, um, your opponent probably isn't winning that game so spear of heliod will win you a mid to late game and favored Hoplite could win you an early game um it kind of depends on what kind of deck you're building here i think what you're looking at is you don't have a ton of targeted effects um at least cheap targeted effects Uh, and i think for that reason i'm taking the spear but i can see why you would go to time on that one and i wouldn't fault you for taking either one of those
1: yeah I, i i think you could take either of these cards and be happy I eventually selected the spear for a lot of the reasons Dave mentioned. People in chat were going nuts that this is an easy decision because it's infinite divine verdicts. And I was like, that's not what this card does. You have to leave the three mana up. They can decide not to attack because they know that it's there. And if they ever do attack you, it's because they've got enough damage to kill you. And it it doesn't matter. Like they're throwing a guy away for damage. Your opponent's doing that for a reason. Um, But the Anthem effect is irreplaceable. And that's exactly what I decided to do here. I'm like, we're already looking at running um, anger of the gods, and I was super thrilled to see both of these cards because it meant that my gamble essentially paid off. Yeah, you're hoping to right? get like, paid off in this pack,
0: and it looks like it's already working.
1: Yeah, because like if, if you're playing white, you're certainly not passing the favored hoplite in any deck or the spear in most decks, mm-hmm. right? So my opponent is playing something that's not white, and I figured that's great news for us. So the
0: the the thing about this is a repeatable divine verdict. It's more like a permanent fog until your opponent can just kill you. Do you know what I mean? Because like they're not attacking you, like you said, unless they can kill you. So you hold up three mana, and it just says, three mana, don't take any damage this turn, is essentially what that says.
1: It's more like triple casting Stone Rain on yourself if you're going to try to do that. Because what what happens is they don't attack, and they develop their board, and you're like, oh, but I was going to kill that guy, and then you can't. So like the, the ability really never gets used. I've played with Spear of Heliod a lot. I think I've killed three creatures with it, and I think I've lost all of the games where I had to kill a creature with it. Like, this is not what this is for. Um, pack 2, pick 3 is where we're really hoping to see that white pay off, um, and it, it kind of did. Uh, worth noting here, the red cards in this pack are a and Crusader, which is one mana for a 1-1 one, one heroic. Uh, you get a 1-1 one, one haste token. Portant of Betrayal, which is the Act of Treason here. It's three and a red. Act of Treason something, scry one. And then the white cards. We've got Divine Verdict, three and a white, destroy target attacking or blocking creature. I don't like Divine Verdict in some formats. I like it very much here. It's, it's just a good card here. Hopeful Eidolon, white for a 1-1. One, one. link, bestow for four. And Phalanx Leader, which is white, white for a 1-1. One, one. When you target it, your team gets a plus one, plus one counter.
0: Yeah, uh, funny story about the Portent of Betrayal. I was playing this last night. uh I, I wasn't playing Portent port of Betrayal, but I did have the uh, the the seven mana Bestow Elk, the one that taps down creatures when you attack. And my opponent stole the creature that uh, with Portent of Betrayal that had the elk on it and swung in, thinking that it would tap down my creatures, but it doesn't because I control the trigger. So then I got to tap yeah. down one of their creatures that they were holding back to block. <laughs> <laughs> and then eat one of their creatures that they had attacked with thinking that they would tap down my thing and like mm, didn't work that way but anyway that's my funny portent of betrayal story uh, I'm diverting yeah, from the I, fact I that
1: have used an act of treason effect on a creature that had a sword on it before and let me tell you that is not fun that is really not you, fun you kind of
0: make that mistake once and then never again and then you never do it again uh, mm-hmm. you're getting paid off here with a pretty easy phalanx leader um, and you might not wheel anything out of this pack but it's pretty happy seeing Phalanx Leader and hopeful eidolon because they're both very good cards
1: yeah i think the divine verdicts in the conversation too stuff gets big in mm-hmm. theros um i had some disagreement from chat on the next one um and uh, i'm i'm curious what you'll think here it's pack two pick four and we've got basically three cards we're considering Battlewise valor one in a white for an instant target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn scry one ill-tempered Cyclops three and a red for a three, three trample with monstrosity three for six and rage of Perforos four and a red for a, uh, we've read this one before. It's four and a red sorcery speed four damage. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, personally, I like the Cyclops. Um, I think it gets big enough that it's, uh, it's pretty good. It also kind of helps shore up your red cards a bit. Um, it kind of guarantees that obviously, I mean, you're playing red, obviously, but it just makes your red a little bit more, um, what's the word that i'm looking for it makes your makes it gives you a more a more of a solid. reason to play yeah your red is solid i guess right um mm-hmm. i think rage of perforos the four damage for five mana is too low um i would much rather have a divine verdict in that slot um or even the six mana white uh destroy target creature for greater spell um yeah. i think by the time you're casting rage of perforos a lot of these things are out of range like a lot of the things you want to kill are already out of range um battle valor i don't mind but i've always been slightly disappointed casting it Uh, i've drafted in in two decks already this week um but but i would take it especially with a phalanx leader i don't think i'd take it over an ill-tempered cyclops
1: yeah same i I just slammed the cyclops uh pack two pick five not super exciting pick here we have another ill-tempered cyclops we have a titan strength uh we have a two-headed cerberus one red, red for a one-two double strike. Worth noting, there's a leaf crown dryad in the pack too. Um, a lot of people were urging me to take the Titan Strength here.
0: Yeah, people like to play the Titan Strength with the Phalanx leader, right? Because of the instant pump. Um, I would take Chosen by Heliod over the Titan Strength, I think, because I like, I like the plus plus zero plus two. I like the card draw effect, um, and I think, I think you can get other combat tricks that are on par with titan strength like for example the plus two plus two it's not quite the same because it's one extra mana um but i I do like the chosen by heliod i think it turns your phalanx leader into kind of a bananas card um
1: yeah i didn't even mention that when we were going through it i was just happy to see
0: another cyclops and slammed it as fast as i could yeah as fast as i I don't mind that one but i think your four drop spot is pretty jammed up already so i think i'd probably take the chosen by heliod you want you want to make sure you have targeted effects for your phalanx leader that you slam on turn two
1: Yeah, I I was thinking in this deck, I'm probably going to be heavier red than white. Mm -hmm. The Phalanx Leader really isn't a turn two play for this deck very often. It's more likely a turn five play and then cast something on it the following turn. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, So that's kind of where I was going there, is I was not thinking of it as a two drop. Um, The next pack didn't have much going on. It had a Fleet Feather Sandals, a Titan Strength, and a Demolish. Uh, I grabbed the Titan Strength. Mm -hmm. Pack two pick seven, I picked a two headed Cerberus over a traveling philosopher mm-hmm. uh, with the idea that it, it at least plays well with the phalanx leader. It plays well with the spear. It plays well with the ordeal. Maybe we can do something with this guy. Uh, pack two pick eight, we got a divine verdict on the wheel. Was super stoked to see that. Uh, there was still a snare caster in the pack and a Farika's cure of note. Pack two pick nine, we grabbed a Lagana band elder. Pack two pick 10. Had had basically soul tie cards in it. I took the basic land just to let my my friends know what was up. And the only other real notable pickup here was uh, pick twelve. I picked up the second Guardians of Miletus. and like I said, they came in out of the sideboard, and we were we were actually happy to have them.
0: It just blocks so much stuff early. Like if your pol- opponent is Voltroning up, um, it can shut down like a four four. Vigilance or a 4-4 Life Link. I guess it doesn't really shut down the Life Link, but you can absorb a lot of damage with that thing. Um, it also, like a creature that gets out of control early with an ordeal, it usually blocks the end result. Like, the end result is usually a 4-4 or a 5-5, and that's that's pretty easy to block with that thing.
1: I, I also liked the idea of siding them in when I'm on the draw with Anger of the Gods in the deck, because it's just a great way to make your opponent continue committing something small Just so that they can continue to attack through it. And it it was really good. Uh, Pack three, pick one was another great open for someone that was not me. Uh, The rare is an Arbor Colossus, two green, green, green for a six, six reach. Monstrosity for six. Kill a creature with flying. It's just kind of stupid. Another Fade into Antiquity, Nalia's Disciple, a Sedge Scorpion. Uh, The red card in the pack is Messenger Speed. Uh, red for an Enchant Creature, Enchanted Creature has Trample and Haste, and the white card in the pack is an Observant Alseid, two and a
0: white for a 2-2 Vigilance with Bestow for five. Yeah, for listeners out there, if you're drafting Theros and you're not uh, excited to pick up the Alseid in this pack, um, I think you're you're misunderstanding what the format is about. This card is, is really good. It's quite good. It, it was an easy slam for me. Mm-hmm. Next pack,
1: um, again, had some really good green cards. There's an Ordeal of Nylea, an Agent of Horizons, and Thuza, the legendary 4-5 uh, for five, four, 5. For us, the cards we could look at here are another Sphere of Heliod, which was kind of weird to see, an Ordeal of Heliod, and an Acroan Crusader. There's also a Traveler's Amulet, which at this point I was slightly interested in because I'm looking to cast double whites and double
0: reds. Yeah, of note, the Sphere of Heliod is legendary. Mm-hmm. so you cannot have both of them in play yeah man does that mean that you don't take it and you just take like the ordeal which is a super solid card oh i hate doing that and that might be the adult thing to do uh, the kid in me wants to take spear so that i always have a spear but that is like a dead card some of the time whereas ordeal is just always good
1: yeah, I, I took the ordeal. I, looking back at my creature base, I've got some heroic creatures that are interested in being triggered that. We've got a menace guy, which plays really well at getting the first hit in. And then if you can back it up with anything, it plays really well with the second hit. And I'm not even sure that I would want two spears. Like, yeah. I like the effect, but at double white, I'm not really sure when I, like, am I an aggro deck that's looking to slam this and get in the last few points of damage? Not really. We're kind of a little bit more controly. trade off our two drops for your two drops and then win with our
0: big stuff. If it's not legendary, do you take it? No, I would still take the ordeal. You still take the ordeal. I think I, I think yeah. I might take the spear if it's not legendary. If there's if I could have two anthem effects, I think I think I'd be interested in that. But whatever, don't have to worry about I, that.
1: Yeah, I don't have to worry about it. I, I mean, I might be, but like three mana anthem that's hard to cast in my deck. I was like, I I, I kind of don't want two of these. Uh, the next pack again worth noting. There's a Nemesis of Mortals and a Triton Tactics in this pack. Uh, There also happened to be a Lightning Strike. Yoink. Yeah, I don't even have to debate that one. Yep. Pack 3, pick 4 had some more debate. There's a Fanatic of Mogus, 3 and a red for a 4-2. When it enters the battlefield, it deals damage to your opponent equal to your devotion to red. There's a Dragon Mantle, red for an enchant creature. We've read this one. You draw a card, it gets fire-breathing. Spearpoint Oriad, Two in red for a two-two first strike uh, with bestow for six and an opaline unicorn three for a one-two tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. It's Charlie. It's Charlie. garbage, it's Charlie but there were people suggesting I take it.
0: Uh, I think it's it's fine in the right deck. Uh, fine being a relative term, um, but not for you. It does it does help cast you uh, double casting costs in both colors, but you could obviously just play a traveler's amulet instead. Um, uh, I'm of the opinion that the right deck
1: for Opaline Unicorn is in Theros Sealed, and it was quite good there. I played a lot of Theros Sealed.
0: Well, you play a lot I of three still sealed that, kick then. If I remember correctly. But um
1: Yeah, because you had amulets, you had unicorns, you and there were powerful cards, you'd splash them. But I I've I don't think I've ever played this in draft, nor have I ever had a draft where it's like, man, if only I'd had a and a Charlie, we'd have done it.
0: Now I, I did play it last night because I had high top end, lots of double casting costs in both colors. Um, and it was a, a something that could carry uh, Chosen by Hela if it just needed to draw cards early in the game. Um, it wasn't great. It was fine. But here, um, I think some people would fall for the Mo- Fanatic of Mogus. Trap maybe is the wrong word, but I've always been underwhelmed casting a Fanatic of Mogus unless I'm mono red. You do have a lot of red pips, but I don't think it's good enough for Fanatic. Um, Spearpoint Oriad is neat. But Dragon Mantle is better for triggering your heroic uh, failings leader, I think.
1: That's what I was thinking too. And I'm also thinking at this point that I'm probably playing the two-headed Cerberus. Mm -hmm. So it's yet another, like now I've got four combos with that. So I took the Dragon Mantle. Okay. Uh, Pick five has of note a Voyaging Seder in the pack. That's a one, two for one and a green. Tap it for a mana. We've got Wild Celebrants, 3 red-red for a 5-3 when it enters the battlefield, destroy an artifact. Cavalry Pegasus, 1 in a white for a 1-1 one, one flyer when it attacks. Humans gain flying until end of turn. A Borderland Minotaur, 2 red-red for a 4-3. And a Sentry of the Underworld, 3 black-white for a 3-3 three, three flying vigilance. You can pay white, black, and 3 life to
0: regenerate it. Uh, your 4-drop spot is too jammed up. I think you have two of these guys already. Uh, two ill-tempered cyclopses. Um, I think whatever card you take is unlikely to be played here, to be honest.
1: Yeah, same. There were a few arguments to take the Pegasus because it carries an ordeal well, although our human count wasn't particularly high. Mm -hmm. I just grabbed the Celebrants. Um, There weren't really too many more notable pickups here. Um, It's worth noting that I got past a Disciple of Phoenix next. Um, We picked up a Portent of Betrayal for the sideboard, another Borderland Minotaur, another Rambler. Um, we were just hate-picking cards there. I eventually did get a late Bronze Sable, which I ended up running over the 2-1 Trampler. And then as as the deck played out, it kind of played out like a, a deck that could have aggressive draws, but was really looking to do things a little bit more controlly with the Anger of the Gods. And and Elspeth is not a fair magic card. No, it is um, absolutely not. Ironically, I resolved her three times during the course of it, one against David Murphy in Game 2, and he immediately glared of heresy hit. Uh, which is exile target white White, permanent permanent. Yep. He didn't know I had it. He just knew I was playing white, had it in his sideboard. He was playing white too and brought it in. So she was just make three one ones. It was good enough. I still won that game. Uh, Resolved it against Gabby and it absolutely won the game. Uh, Resolved it against Jim Davis, destroying his eight, eight and his six, six. And he killed me the next turn with a flyer by bestowing the emissary of Perforos onto it. He magma sprayed me, scryed to the bottom (laughs) then drew the land, the the seventh land he needed to bestow it, put it on a 2-1 flyer and killed me with it. After going to one, playing the Blood Toll Harpy the turn before. So like Elspeth is absurdly good, uh, but it was just funny that like there's not very much you can do to answer her, but two people were able to find answers in the draft. Uh, And Anger of the Gods was absolutely absurd. I didn't play anybody who was playing green, which is where it would be terrible because their stuff just gets too big. Like, but we managed to dodge Nessie and Asps and uh, kind of skated our
0: way to a 3-0. Nice, yeah. Draft uh, draft seems like it played out fairly well for the most part. I think I looked at the black card early and I probably would not have ended up there because there were no other black cards. Um, so we probably would have ended up with a very similar deck, which is which is interesting. We don't usually do that. But I think you and I have the same thoughts about this format. White is awesome.
1: Yeah, if, if I can be white, I'm interested. If I can't be, I usually want to be green, um, and it, it started to look like in pack three that we had maybe missed a green train,
0: but I, I was still super happy to be red white. Yeah, it was way too late for green at that point. It looked like nobody was drafting green at that point. Yeah, it. I'm not sure that anybody was, although we didn't see any Nessie and Asps. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right, well, that was fun. So uh, get out there, draft some more Theros. You've got about four days left, I think, if I'm counting my days correctly when this goes up. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, five days left. Um, and again, go buy your packs instead of using your play points. You'll make, it's like printing dollar bills, get that value, get that asp. Um, let's take a few minutes now, switch topics. We'll switch gears here where we will, uh, we're going to talk about the availability of data in terms of constructed decks on magic online. So, uh, elder scholars like yourself, will remember that um, magic online used to publish a lot of uh, top decks back in the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and It wasn't even a lot. It was, it was a good sampling of top decks. And then at some point they removed that information um, from the public eye. And the reason for that was, is that they wanted the metagame to not get solved as quickly um, as it had been in the past. So obviously net decking, quote unquote net decking is a thing. Um, but, their argument was that the metagame was getting solved too quickly and the lack of data would make for a healthier constructed environment whether that be modern or standard and uh the blowback from the community was such that this was not a thing that they were interested in which is completely fair um more information in the hands of the players is generally better um and so what they've done now uh they actually had a version of this where they would Published curated lists of interesting five O deck lists, not a complete sample of five O deck lists, but a um, weighted sample where they would post a few different decks, but wouldn't give you the idea of which ones were more popular than others. And you have to keep in mind this was during the time in which um, uh, Aetherworks Marvel was a thing, and kind of the other decks that caused bans were a thing. And, uh, and again, the blowback from the community was they want more information. They weren't getting the information that they were, uh, that they were interested in. So what they've done recently, I think it just started last week is, uh, they've taken to posting unique, quote unquote, unique decks that five Oh, the competitive leagues in both modern and standard once per day, uh, or is it once, no, it's once per day for standard or, and it's once a a a week. week, you get a list for each format, Oh, I thought it was more frequently than I thought it was multiple times a week. Anyway, at least once a week, um, you'll get five O deck lists that differ by 10 or more cards between them. So what you won't see is you won't see 20 decks that are blue black control that vary by one or two cards in the sideboard. What you will see is a blue black control deck and a merfolk deck and a teamer energy deck and all these other decks that are that are different enough to to qualify as quote unquote unique so as someone yourself travis interested in playing constructed here and there what's your take on the availability of data when it comes to constructed now
1: i essentially stopped playing constructed because i couldn't go look up a deck to play um for for me if i'm going to enter a competitive format on magic online i have to have that data otherwise it's just not worth playing so like i've played standard in the past i've played standard in the very recent past and this gets me interested in playing standard. I am not a brewer. I don't want to brew. I don't have any illusions about that or belief that that's what I'm, I'm supposed to do. So for me, I'm more interested in playing a format once it's solved and I know what the best deck or three decks are and can then pick one of them up and get some reps in with it. So for me, it was incredibly frustrating to, to sit down and be like, let's play some standard. What are the good decks? Oh, I don't know. Does anybody know? What should I be playing? And then I couldn't figure it out. I'd get frustrated and just fire up another draft. So this this is great news. I would love for everything to be published, like all of the deck lists, all of the 5 O's. Like what I want to see is once I've decided on the the deck that I want, I want to dig in and know which version of it do I want. So like I'll see a mono red deck that's playing, you know, three of this card and another one that's playing four of it. And I, I can have long discussions on stream about why we would want the fourth copy or why we wouldn't want the fourth copy. So for me, this is great. I still don't think it's enough. I want hundred percent of the data, hundred percent of the time available everywhere.
0: See, I, I think, I think what is here is, is pretty good. And I don't, I don't know if having, you know, this deck, all 13 versions of this deck, give or take one card five owed. Um, I think what you're going to see here is you're going to see a variety of decks Um, and especially week to week or posting to posting, I should go and look and see exactly how frequently these are posted. Um, I think you will see enough variety in those mono red decks, for example, um, to get an idea. And it still leaves a little bit of exploration on your own. I know you may not necessarily like an exploration, um, but it does kind of leave that avenue open. And you do get a very healthy selection of decks this way. I wonder if you know, having 350 decks here instead of 50 decks here, or however many people five a league in a week would be too much information to sift through for the average person. Um, and this way presenting them with, you know, quote unquote, 50 unique decks, um, might be more beneficial for your average player. Like obviously a pro is going to want more information, but I think, I think the way that they've presented it here is very positive. Um,
1: I do too, and I agree with you. This is a positive thing and a good thing, and I'm happy that they have it. I still don't think having more information is a bad thing for people who don't want it, right? Like, you can choose the level of involvement that you want to have here. If you're going to play at the kitchen table with your buddies and you just want to look up a cool deck to play, you're probably not coming here to look for it anyway, right? There's a lot of sites for brewers and budget decks and cool combo decks, and you can go find those. If you're going to FNM, you don't need to parse through 250 deck lists. You can just look at, you know, the top three or four and be like, I like this one. I'll take it. For for me, I feel like it's a a disadvantage for somebody coming in not to have all that information. And we also can't get a really healthy view of a metagame, right? Like we can see these decks, but we don't know how many people are playing each one of them, right? Like if the metagame is actually 80% mono-red, but occasionally some of these other decks pop through and do all right, I'd actually like to know that so that I can kind of game against it a little bit. And it it seems like the way it's being released now, all I could do is like play these and be like, wow, so many of my opponents are mono-red. But at the same time, I I could dodge all the mono-red opponents, even if it is 80%. And then my view of the metagame is just completely different than everyone else's, which either makes me feel like I'm an idiot or like something weird has happened. So. I still like more data and I I don't think that you're obligated to go get it unless you're competitive. If you are, if you do feel like you'd be obligated to go get it, I've got great news for you. You have the competitive spirit and it it can certainly be a lot of work, but there's places that can aggregate that too, right? Like I'm not going to go count all these decks and do the math, but if you're releasing 250 deck lists, there's a website somewhere that will, it's probably MTGO goldfish.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think um i think the metagame is a, is a bit of a met gleaming the metagame from the 50 decks um like and by showing numbers doesn't necessarily give you an, a a solid view of the metagame either because you're missing four one three two decks you're missing how many people are actually playing it you get a little bit of the uh, the survivor bias in there as well um so so i think i mean maybe maybe happy medium would be that you know this deck is a sample of decks that were similar to it. And there were 75 decks similar to this, that five owed. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think depending on the volume of data here, like there's no indication here that says how many people five Oh in a given posting. Um, but you're right. I mean, you could go to aggregator sites and things like that. I think when you say that you're, you know, your competitive player can go out and get this information. I think when you have a, um, if the data is not aggregated for them already, that, it becomes a necessity for those people or else they put themselves at a dis- disadvantage. So the metagame, for example, now you have to do this outside research aside from your own gameplay and aside from your own experience, which can be a negative thing for some people. Um, and, and, but if wizards were to aggregate it in that way, for example, to say that there were 75 decks like this, that five owed um, as opposed to listing 500 deck lists on the screen for people to scroll through. Cause you can't scroll through this and, and, classify them easily without looking at each one like i can't just blink my eyes here and say that you know this one's mono red this one's black red energy this one's merfolk or whatever i have to like scroll through the cards and i have to say oh this one oh yeah yeah no it's mono red oh yeah oh this one's kind of mostly mono red but it differs slightly do you know what i mean like that that seems like a large undertaking for somebody who even if they are competitive you know it it's it's not necessarily something that's worthwhile for them to do. So more information, yes, but I think the more information needs to come in a way that uh, can be easily understood or usable by most people.
1: I'm I'm still going to fight you a little bit on this one, and I, I I know that at the end of it, we're likely to agree to disagree, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But when we spoke about this earlier off off air, I mentioned World of Warcraft. For those of you who don't know, I play World of Warcraft with my wife. We have a guild. We go on raids. It's a lot of fun. And there there are sites that scrape data from World of Warcraft and can tell you exactly what you should be doing for your class. What is the best item to go in the slot? What is the best spell you could be casting? What is the best build you could have? And like everything is spelled out there. And it's up to you to decide what level you want to play at That game has built-in difficulty tiers for raiding. You can use Raid Finder, which is very casual. The bosses have less hit points. The gear they drop is worse. And you can just kind of walk in and see the environment, go through the fight, and kind of hear the story in in a very relaxed pace where there's kind of like low stress. You're probably going to kill the bosses, and it's not likely anybody's going to die. You can do normal, which has some mechanics that can be punishing. So if you screw them up, you're probably going to die. You can do heroic, which is notching it up another level. And then you can do mythic rating, which is basically if anybody in your group of, you know, 20 people makes a mistake, you're all going to die. So like if, if I'm going to do mythic rating, I need to go to those sites and get all that scraped data and eke out that 0.05% advantage so that I can do that much more damage and we can kill the boss. But even though I'm an exceptionally competitive person, it's not really what our guild's about. We're just kind of about hanging out and talking to each other while we're playing through this. We do normal raids. We don't do heroics. So I don't feel compelled to go find the absolute best build. I'll still look at it idly and make sure that I'm not doing something colossally stupid, but I, I could spend hours making sure that my warlock is guild- geared out perfectly, but I don't do that. Even though I'm kind of the target audience for something like that. And I feel like magic has those tears too. Like, Like this information that's published is kind of mostly for magic online people, right? Like somebody going to a paper tournament isn't going to get a whole lot of information here that's useful other than decks that are performing well on magic online. If the the local game store here in DC has a bunch of people that just were like, screw it, I'm still going to play energy even though it's not as good. Knowing that mono red is 80% of the metagame online doesn't do me any good there. So it's like you need to know where the data is from, what it does, and be able to use it. But having it out there doesn't mean that I have to. Uh, it just means that I could, and I'd like to have that option. So I, I like the direction they're taking. I'm glad we're getting more data. I would still argue for all of it. You made a great point that, like, seeing the 5 O's only doesn't tell you everything. So show me everything. Show me the 0-5s. Show me the, the the one fours. Like, it doesn't hurt anything to have that data. And there are people that will aggregate it for us so everybody can have access to it
0: hmm I, th- I think i think there is a point where there is too much data to be honest i don't think you need the O fives i don't think you need the oh one drops i don't think you need stuff like that but so having this data available and creating a, a an external metagame creates a it's not really two-tier but it kind of is it's the people that that like will go and consume all of the data and know everything about it and then the people that are down from that, that have the same competitiveness and are the same skill that won't do that. And that's what having this data does sometimes. Um, you, you know, World of Warcraft and you can kind of play at your own pace and you can decide what you want to do. Do you want to go and consume all this information? World of Warcraft isn't necessarily a competitive game that way, right? Like there are competitive raiders that will try to race to the end. And if those people are not using that metagame data, that scrape data from all these other sites, they're inherently at a disadvantage for that. So it becomes a necessity for those people. And that's the problem that I have with some of this data is that for those people on that cutting edge of it, it is an absolute necessity. And it's just one more thing that they have to do that is outside playing the game. And it's the same in all games. It, it exists everywhere. It exists in like Heroes of the Storm and games like that, right? Where if you're not, if you're trying to play a top level hero league and you're not doing that work, work essentially, um, you're, you're not going to remain at that level of play. And that's just something that if you want to stay at that level of play, you have to do. It becomes an obligation. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just, what what I'm saying is that without the data, you know, that obligation turns to something else, which becomes testing and actually playing the game as opposed to consuming the data. Not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that in, in a world that we live in today, big data is a thing in my industry, right? Where it's just this buzzword about having all of this data that you can do kind of whatever you want with it. You know, if that data is available to you and you're not using it, you're doing something wrong. Whereas when that data wasn't necessarily available to you, you could focus on other things and get results other ways. So that's my take on the data. You're right. Data is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it just becomes for some people an obligation. I won't use it. I don't care. Um, but I, I, but I have seen the argument um, for example, in you know game like heroes of the storm, where that metagame, Of If you're not selecting these specific talents in Hero League, you're not playing the game correctly and you're actually actively bringing you and your team down um, and not knowing that information was kind of a detriment to you and your team. So it's just it's just that extra metagame, that game outside of the game. Um, And that exists already, like the pro players go through it with their testing teams and things like that. So it's just what this does is it just kind of of makes it on a more wider scale. But I like what they've done. I don't know what we could get for limited information, but. Maybe there's some things. I mean, I'd
1: love to have lists of winning uh, like deck lists that three owed, although to be honest, you can find a lot of that on Twitter. You know, um, Ethan and Ben tweet nearly every deck they have that three owes. So you can get a lot of that there. Mm -hmm. You can watch streams and see stuff like that. So you can still find a lot of this data. And I, I do understand what you're saying. The, the thing that this harkens back to me for was, do you remember when they had replays in the game and you could watch replays of people in the tournament you were in? I never
0: actually did that. Okay. But you could. So, and someone, and you, MTG Goldfish had a bot that scraped that information.
1: They did. And, like, I, I liked that information. But here's one thing I didn't like. Back in those days, the clock had 30 minutes on it instead of 25 and the first five minutes was you and your opponent in this round going back and watching the replay of each other from last round, because that's certainly what I did. And I wrote down every single card that they played, what bombs they had, what I needed to play around, because you could fast forward through the replay and see it relatively quickly. And in five minutes, know every know you know, 90% of their deck and exactly what you needed to play around. And I did feel like I had to Mm -hmm. because it was because it was there and I was actually because it was there. And I was actually pleased when they made it where you couldn't watch the replays while you were still in the match. I was like, that one just seems nice to me because if my opponent's doing it, I have to do it. Uh, Now, I understand there were still people that didn't. So I I can see that perspective. Um, But in this case, I I feel like the data is a little bit different, but I'll, I'll give you a nod here at least
0: sure and i'll give you a nod like i think the truth lies somewhere in the middle and i think your example is a better example of that kind of obligation where if that data that metagame is available to you and you're not using it you're at an inherent disadvantage it might not be that extreme with the data so i think we can come to the middle there we can still be friends absolutely i don't care i'll argue with you any day of the week and we'll still be friends (laughs) all right bud no that was good okay but um we'll post the link here um i'm just gonna go back and check to see um They are posting, it looks like, data every couple of days, and it's split between um, Popper, Competitive Modern, and Competitive Standard. So it looks like you may be correct that it is once a week. Uh, No, actually, I lied. It's less than once a week. It's about twice a week for Competitive Standard. So you can get a lot of data here.
1: Yeah. Just not quite all of it.
0: Not quite all of it. Go find your next standard deck there and rock your uh, Friday night with some kind of like merfolk brew that you saw 5-0 to League on Magic Online. <laughs> Show us your decks. Well, I think that's going to call it for this week. Uh, once again, thanks to Mana Deprived and Face FaceToFaceGames.com. I'm going to pump the tires of our Twitter. Uh, go check us out at uh, Men From Moto on Twitter and of course the Patreon as well. Um, if you are currently backing the Patreon, go and change your your backing so that uh, you're not going to get dinged for four times what you were expecting. Travis, where can they catch you uh, drafting Theros for the rest of this week? Yeah, I'll be drafting Theros nearly
1: uh, exclusively on stream because I love this format. Uh, I love maybe a strong word. I very much like it. I don't think this is on my top five list, uh, but it's probably on the top 10 list. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Simulan and on
0: Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash Simulan. All right, and I am at civilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N, and Twitch at the same name. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.
1: Bye.